Hello and welcome to World Commerce and Contracting, latest podcast in our Optimism Cafe series. And today we're going to be talking about social value. Uh, I'm delighted to welcome Dave Curran, who's uh, Chief Sustainability Officer Paul Weiss, to discuss what social value means today for legal procurement and contract management at every level. So let's jump straight in and uh, welcome Dave, first of all. Um, Thank you, Tim. Good to be with you. And and, well, of course, it's Optimism Cafe, but maybe I can start off with a slightly sort of uh, cynical note on this one. Um, Isn't this social value activity something that uh, others do? We simply have it in corporate objectives, marketing talks about it, CIOs occasionally, CEOs, sorry, occasionally talk about it, but, you know, hey, I'm in legal, I'm in procurement, I'm contract management, it doesn't really involve me. Yeah, I I think that's a great, a great point, Tim, and I would agree, and in pre-2020, in the year that was effectively the, the, I, I used to call it the decade of reckoning. It all happened in the, in the six months of uh, 2020. Um, no doubt there are uh, layers of individuals within organizations, um, both inside them and outside them on the stakeholder side. Um, because uh, I, think, I think that the uh, naivete sometimes of outside stakeholders um, can also be viewed cynically. Um, and I think up until about 20, late 2019, 2020, when the world exploded, literally. Um, I think you could, you could call a lot of what social value or what folks call ESG or sustainable finance is, is a term that is used by certainly in the investment community. Um, but today, social value in companies has replaced a lot of what used to be done outside of companies, uh, in particular by governments. And since since the U.S. government, for example, was effectively on the sidelines for the last administration on any of these issues, um, companies took it upon themselves and this this idea of stakeholder capitalism arose. And one could be cynical of that and saying, well, they're just window dressing programs, companies are polishing up things to make them look green or ESG positive. Um, I'm sure there's still an abundance of that, but there's also... Um, a growing realization that the convergence of these social issues at the business level are one and the same. And one of the reasons is there've been a generational shifts. Um, I have three adult daughters in their, tw- in their 20s, all of whom take this stuff very seriously when they wanna work for a company, ultimately when they wanna invest long-term in engagement with a company. Um, and so I think they've, they've been, they're morphing or merging. They're not fully merged, but what I'm seeing is definitely an engagement. And, and you can be cynical and say they're doing it because they have to, whatever the reason they're doing it. And that's shareholders, NGOs, consumer groups. And when, and Tim, when one individual, um, a, a young girl from, from the Netherlands, uh, excuse me, from um, uh, the Nordic states can change the world by one speech at the UN, the world has changed. Social media is driving social value and social value is driving value within companies. And I'll just add in that when companies recognize also that many of these social value items, things like gender, equity, racial and social justice, when they're driving economic value, 
of companies. And the data is all there. The companies that are, are more diverse and inclusive perform better and things like that. When companies are more environmentally sound, um, they get more investors um, and more consumers often. Um, then whether it's social value or financial value, companies are moving in the direction of where the water flows, so to speak. So if it really is permeating organizations and they, despite my opening comment, I, I agree with you. I think the momentum now is, uh, is very real. Um, and in fact, the evidence is that much of it is in fact in practical terms coming from private sector rather than public sectors. But what are then in your experiences that's actually meaning to legal procurement contract management groups if they're supporters of this, what is it they do? Yeah, that's a really good question, Tim. Um, and that's where we're seeing the biggest shift within organizations. A lot of these social value issues were considered sort of sideline um, maybe they were handled by human resources, um, by sustainability offices. Those weren't really the primary focus of the leadership of the company. They were viewed as, as um, necessaries, but, but, and maybe nice, excuse me, nice to have, but not necessarily uh, the ones that were driving companies. What we're seeing is a, a real title shift here. Lawyers in particular, um, and the legal ecosystem is getting involved big time. We're seeing a trend, for example, that sustainability um, uh, groups are now reporting into the GC, um, and that you're going to see that trend, I think, mushroom in the in the coming years. And the reason is reputational risk, which some people think is soft and fussy, fussy, uh, soft and fuzzy, sorry, um, is is actually quite tangible. And and account the large accountancies are working as we speak on transforming how to account for um, the impact of social issues on reputation for a company in a very tangible, concrete ways. And when that happens, the CFO gets involved, um, treasury gets involved to uh, uh, deal with risk, and lawyers are getting involved in compliance. At the end of the day, these companies cannot have these um, ESG types of issues somewhere else. They are have to be part of the core of an organization, and they have to be tethered to legal compliance, procurement, and other regimes, contracting regimes, so that they are able to track, measure, monitor, and report on any progress and also any gaps. So these big contracting operations need to take that into account and are starting to take that into account. If you, for example, are saying that a value of your company is you wanna work with um, organizations that are people of color and women, have more women and people of color and other groups, LBGTQ, well, you better that better be reflected in systems and better be tracked, measured and monitored because I think, Tim, the difference today is that companies will be called out publicly um, and it takes only uh, one disgruntled employee to flag a company and to make a big uh, difference from a reputational standpoint. So these organizations are very active and in transformation as we speak uh, to try and catch up, frankly, for a lot of lost time in bringing the systems of the company, the processes to the uh, challenges. Of course, much of the social values that we achieve will probably be through the organizations we partner with, the contractors or very often subcontractors that perhaps are at the heart of social enterprise or diversity. Um, so contracts have a big role to play in all of this, but very often, of course, the social value measurement will be very, very difficult to embed, not only into your prime contract, but potentially, of course, this need for 
flow-through terms, the visibility down several layers, perhaps into a supply chain. How do you see people beginning to address that challenge? Well, and, and that's really the reason, Tim, we started this practice at Paul Weiss. Um, it's dedicated to ESG and sustainability, but not the social value issues. It's dedicated to making sure that companies that are trying to achieve these business commitments can actually do that. And the way to do that is through documentation. You need policies, procedures, and you need contracts. You need documentation. And you, you hit it, the nail right on the head, Tim. Um, you're, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Um, a CEO I used to work with said, and it's so true. So there are some organizations, very well-known companies today, um, where 40 to 50% of their workforce, human capital, is deployed through contracted entities. So they're not even employees. And prior to COVID, they were sitting right across from you in a cube, um, uh, right next to you in, in, a, in a conference room table, and they were not actually employees. And frankly, these companies weren't doing a great job for the most part on policing that system, actually or what we call pressure testing, um, the, the, what's actually in your contracts, because you can have facially the right documentation, but if you actually did an audit or examination, you would find that you had serious gaps. And what we're seeing now, and we're helping companies do is actually address those challenges. We're doing tabletop exercises and larger uh, ESG risk assessments, which look across the enterprise and we bring together procurement with lawyers, with HR, with sustainability offices and with their finance groups to say, okay, these are your declarations of values. Let's document them. How are they found in the supply chain? If you are in fact looking for more um, uh, organizations that are minority owned, for example, how do you test that? What is the rigor? One of the dirty little secrets of ESG, Tim, and val social value is that the data uh, largely is unaudited. And um, so relative to the financial data that companies report, um, ESG data is self-reported and uh, that's changing. So we're actually working with a lot of companies today to pressure test those numbers. And in particular, the supply chain, because as you know, Tim, you go an inch deep, then maybe two inches deep and then three inches deep, and you may have lots of challenges in the supply chain. So you can't just paper it. And one of those examples is in codes of conduct for suppliers. It's a huge issue under examination. Do they really test these things? And if so, how do they? And do they call out companies positively and give an incentive for those that actually meet the criteria from a social value standpoint? We see companies building in those incentives, incentives for their employees. Um, um, we're encouraging companies to build in similar incentives to their supply chain partners um, to promote the good behaviors that they're trying to promote. So you are, of course, running a social value workshop at our next uh, virtual summit in June. Um, and I think you're going to be focusing on bridging the gap between aspiration and action. So what is it the participants in your workshop can expect to find and to take away? Um, so the, that's right. We, you can, it's easy to say great things and have platitudes. Um, I've always focused in my career on, you know, meat and potatoes. Where does the rubber meet the road or whatever other kind of expression is? If you have a declaration, and I don't care if it comes from your CEO, lots of media focuses on CEO aspirations. I can go to Davos. I can sign the business roundtable um, uh, pledge and all these things. At the end of the day, it all comes down to the engine room of a company. What is being done within an organization to tether the obligation to an outcome. 
just like financial measurements. And that's how companies have to treat it. So what we'll be doing in that session is talking about um, some better practices in companies that are doing this well, that are actually pressure testing, as I mentioned, and taking some of the key examples of companies that are doing this well, and as well as companies that have been called out publicly for not doing this well. Um, and there are many of them in the news. Virtually every week you'll see, and this is, a, we're calling these ESG drop litigations. And these are cases brought against companies. And again, I'm not here to judge the value itself or whether or not these cases will ultimately be prevail in a court. But in the court of public opinion, if you're called out for not meeting an aspiration by tethering it to the organization and at least not being able to track it and measure and monitor and report on it, you're going to have a major challenge on your hand. You're going to have challenges with stakeholders. Companies are facing these issues now with their own employees, even if it's not an employment-related dispute. Their own employees are calling them out for uh, allegations that they're not meeting their own requirements. That's not a good situation. You don't want to be fighting with your employees. You don't want to be fighting with your supply chain contractors. Um, and so, because we've heard from many in the supply chain that say they've been treated unfairly, that um, favored nations companies get better treatment and they're the ones that actually meet these social values um, better. And so I think what we're gonna be doing is talking about the realities of this, picking some examples of goods and, and not so goods and how companies can practically address this. One example, very simply, is it's a new world for ESG, new world order. You Have you gotten the people around the table, obviously virtually for now, um, all of the constituents and ask simple questions like who owns this social value or this ESG commitment? Who in the room? Is it procurement? Is it finance? Is it legal? Is it HR? Um, I have, uh, we have clients that are still trying to answer that question a couple of months later. It's the, the trickiest but most important question of all is if you don't have an owner and you're not able to measure an outcome, you're not gonna achieve it. And I don't care what your CEO says. And so, one of the things that lawyers and contracts professionals and people in the engine room of companies and compliance executives, for example, they're really good at tethering and also using testing protocols, audit protocols to challenge assumptions and aspirations to make sure that they're um, being adhered to. And most importantly, and the biggest difference between ESG and, and financial commitments, and I think personally, one of the reasons why people have stayed away from this is you never actually achieve them. So if I call out, if I'm in a contract and I have a certain revenue number and we reach the revenue number and we achieve the goals and royalties flow or whatever the consequent contracting things happen, um, all is good. How do you do that in ESG? How can you show that your company is diverse and inclusive, for example, a global co uh, corporation? How do you show that you're environmentally sound when there are so many issues in the E sector of ESG? And finally, how do you show that you have perfect governance? You can't, the answer is you can't. And this has been a frustration for executives and companies, but you have to do something. And so you need to do workshops and tabletops and discussions that tether these things one at a time, make them as granular as you can, and then say, who owns this? How are you tracking this? What do the Gantt charts show? What are your project management uh, areas doing? How are finance, legal, HR, how are they all involved in making sure that you achieve these commitments? Dave, thank you so much for joining us and for, I think, inspiring us with the point that we really should, as we enter 2021, feel truly optimistic about the reality that social value is embedding itself into corporate and public sector practices. 
really looking forward to your workshop. And uh, again, thanks so much for spending this time with us. Thanks, Tim. I, uh, I am very optimistic. Uh, this is, I'm, I'm as optimistic as I've ever been in this sector. Um, and so very excited to work with you um, in June and, and, and beyond. So thanks very much for having me on.